Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our associate pastor, Nathaniel Stubbs. Well, I've got a lot of scripture to cover today. Um, I'm going to read Romans 9. We're going to read through Romans 9 from the beginning to the end in the Passion Translation. Um, But as I go back and readdress it, most of it's going to be in the Amplified Translation. So it should be up on the screen. So we'll start at Romans 9, verse 1. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for this opportunity to come into great faith. And we just declare great faith into this room, great faith into these people, great faith. Lord, let this be a holy moment of transaction. Let this be a sacred moment where there is a deposit and an increase in our faith. Pray for clarity. I pray for insight. I pray that these words would be your words that we would walk away with an impartation from you today in Jesus' name. All right, you guys ready to dive in? All right, Romans 9, verse 1. O Israel, my Jewish family, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for you that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as I long for you to come to faith in the Anointed One. My conscience will not let me speak anything but the truth. For my grief is so intense that I wish I would be accursed, cut off from the Messiah, if it would mean that you, my people, would come to faith in him. That's a strong statement right there. You know, I really, I I pray that we would all walk in that. That's what it means to be a father, to be a, a, a leader, is that you would trade in your own salvation if it benefited the people that you love. That's awesome. You are Israelites, my fellow citizens, and God's chosen people. To you belong God's glorious presence, the covenants, the Torah, the temple with its required sacrifices, and the promises of God. We trace our beginnings back to the patriarchs, and through their bloodline is the genealogy of the Messiah, who is God over everything. May he be praised through endless ages. Amen. Clearly, God has not failed to fulfill his promise to Israel, for that will never happen. But not everyone who has descended from Israel belongs to Israel. Physical descent from Abraham doesn't guarantee the inheritance. Because God has said, through Isaac, your descendants will be counted as part of your lineage. This confirms that it is not merely the natural offspring of Abraham who are considered the children of God but rather the children born because of the promise. These are counted as descendants. For God promised Abraham, now is the time. For nine months, your wife Sarah will have a son. Now this son was our ancestor Isaac, who with his wife Rebekah conceived twins. And before her twin sons were born, God spoke to Rebekah and said, the oldest will serve the youngest. God spoke these words before the sons had done anything good or bad, which proves that God calls people not based on the basis of their good or bad works, but according to his divine purpose. 
For in the words of Scripture, Jacob I have chosen, but Esau I have rejected. Just to sit on that real quick. Yeah, because I know some people are going to be like, uh, okay, I'm rejected. The spirit of rejection just glommed onto that verse for some of us. Um, no, you are not rejected, okay? This is what, it, this is what uh, Brian Simmons' take is. It says in the subnote, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. The love-hate contrast is not merely a matter of God's emotions, but God's actions of choosing Jacob and excluding Esau. The Semitic idiom, I think that's how you say it, is also found in Jesus' words of hating our father and mother, even our own life. You guys remember that? It's, it's not a hatred compared to the, sorry, it is a hatred compared to the love we have demonstrated by choosing to follow Jesus. So it's less about him hating Esau. It's more about his divine appointment. Did I say that right? For Jacob, yeah. Because how do you know who Jacob was? I mean, not only that, I don't want to get distracted on this bunny, this bunny trail here, but Esau was a good dude. Jacob was a deceiver. Remember that? Jacob was a snake. Jacob lied, cheated, stealed, manipulated, and Esau just got cheated, lied to, and manipulated. In other words, Jacob didn't deserve it. And Esau, in our eyes, did deserve it. But because God had chosen before they made their choices, outside of their will, he said, I've chosen Jacob for a purpose, to carry the name of my people. So no matter what he does, I'm going to fulfill that purpose. You've got to view that scripture in the context of the greater scripture. It's not giving permission for us to hate people or to receive hate from God. It's giving permission that he has divine callings and favor that other people won't have that you walk in and that others walk in that you don't have. Okay. So what does all this mean? He kind of explains it right here. This is verse 14. Are we saying that God is unfair? Of course not. He had every right to say to Moses, I will be merciful to whomever I choose, and I will show compassion to whomever I wish. Again, this proves God's choice doesn't depend on how badly someone wants it or tries to earn it, but it depends on God's kindness and mercy. That's so good. Let's take a deep breath there. Oh, my goodness. What a relief. God's choice doesn't depend on how badly you or I want it or try to earn it, but it depends on God's kindness and mercy. God said to Pharaoh, I raised you up as a ruler of Egypt for this reason, that I might make you an example of how I demonstrate my miracle power. For by the example of how I deal with you, my powerful name will be a message proclaimed throughout the earth. So we, again, we see in verse 18, it is entirely up to God to show mercy or to harden the hearts of whomever he chooses. Wow. Well then, one might ask, if God is in complete control, how could he blame us? For who can resist whatever he wants done? It's a logical conclusion, right? <laughs> but who do you think you are to second-guess God? How could a human being molded out of clay say to the one who molded him, why in the world did you make me this way? Again, I want to make a note here real quick. That's not a scripture to justify the enemy killing, stealing, and destroying. Amen? It, it, like we're not to say, well, the potter made me crippled, 
So who am I to ask for healing? Right? Otherwise, Jesus would have been going around fixing pottery that the Father made broken. He would have been contradicting the Father there. He's not talking about the works of the devil. He's talking about calling. He's talking about purpose. He's talking about divine assignment. He's saying, if you were divinely assigned to live this life, who are you to question that assignment? Who are you to question the way you were made, the way that you're gifted, the way that you're called, what you're called to do in this life? Did he make a mistake when he made your insides? Right? It's not about empowering sickness or, or defeat and saying, well, I'm just made this way. No, it's not that at all. <clears throat> or are you denying the right of the potter, we're in verse 21, to make out of clay whatever he wants? Doesn't the potter have the right to make from the same lump of clay an elegant vase or an ordinary pot? You see, he's referring to function. Some people are made to be the president of the United States. Some people are made to do something that's very low in your brain, something that you might consider a servant's job. And to God, it's about being faithful to the calling. One, he's created to look pretty. One, he's created to get work done. It can, it can all overlap, but you get the point. <clears throat> in the same way, although God has every right to unleash his anger and demonstrate his power, yet... He is extremely patient with those who deserve wrath. Say that, extremely patient. Vessels prepared for destruction. And doesn't he also have the right to release the revelation of the wealth of his glory to his vessels of mercy, whom God prepared beforehand to receive his glory? Even for us, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, we are those he has called to experience his glory. Hallelujah. Remember the prophecy God gave in Hosea. We're on the last quarter here of the chapter, so hang with me. To those who rejected, to those who were rejected and not my people, I will say to them, you are mine. And to those who are unloved, I will say, you are my darling. And in the place where they told you, you are nobody, this will be the very place where they will be renamed children of the living God. The prophet Isaiah cries out to Israel, though the children of Israel are as many as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will act and carry out his word on the earth and waste no time to accomplish it. Just as Isaiah saw it coming and prophesied, if the Lord God had not left us a remnant, we would have been destroyed like Sodom and left desolate like Gomorrah. So then... What does this all mean? What does this whole chapter mean? Here's the irony. The non-Jewish people who weren't even pursuing righteousness were the ones who seized it. A perfect righteousness that is transferred by faith. Yet Israel, even though pursuing a legal righteousness, did not attain it. And why is that? Because they did not pursue the path of faith but insisted on pursuing righteousness by works. It's incredible. As if it could be seized another way, they were offended by the means of obtaining it and stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as, as it is written, be careful, I am setting in Zion a stone that will cause people to stumble, a rock of offense 
that will make them fall. But believers in him will not experience shame. Wow, that was a mouthful. That was good. How many of you are with me still? Okay, so we're going to go into the Amplified Translation now. We're going to look at those last two, I think, 30 through 33 verses. Romans 9, 30 through 33 in the Amplified. Okay, so this is what, we're going to start here. This is where it finishes. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not follow after righteousness have attained it by faith. Whereas Israel, though ever in pursuit of a law for securing of righteousness, actually did not succeed in fulfilling the law. For what reason? Because they pursued it not through faith, Relying instead on the merit of their works. They did not depend on faith, but on what they could do. So it's amazing to me that these boys, these girls, that are for generations, thousands of years, pursuing righteousness. And they have divine encounters with God. They have divine presence following their story. And their whole story is coming up to this Messiah, to this promise, to this point, and they don't achieve it, and they don't receive it, and they completely miss it up to this point of the story. The story's not over yet for Israel, but they completely miss it because they couldn't receive it the way God ordained it to be received. They couldn't receive the promise the way God said it was supposed to be received, so they completely missed it because they were trying to receive it in their own effort. And my hope for you guys in this message is that God would awaken inside of you great faith this morning. The problem with faith, this is the only problem with faith, is we hear it so often, it begins to get numb in your head. How many of you know, experience that? It's like, have faith. It's like, I don't even have a definition when you say it. I'm just like, okay, it's just a terminology. It's, Christi- it's just Christ, Christology talk. That's not the right word. Christian talk, you know what I mean? But faith, I pray today that there would be an awakening of actual power. It says that you would, throughful. By faith we understand. The righteous live by faith. We come to God in faith. Faith is not blind subscription to a storyline. Faith is divine substance. That is an actual transportation vehicle for heaven. You guys understand that? When you put your faith in Jesus, you're not just saying, sure, I sign at the dotted line, now let me go continue my life. You're actually opening up in your spirit, man, a, a doorway for, a, for heaven to enter into you through the vehicle of faith. Faith is a substance and a power that translates heaven's reality into your reality. And the reason it's faith is so that a child can have it and a PhD scholar can have it because it comes from your spirit man and your spirit man is infinite. It doesn't come from your understanding. It comes from his presence. I really pray we get an impartation of faith. If you tune out the rest of the message, don't do that. But if you do do that, remember, walk away with faith today. Walk away with faith. This is the sobering lesson for the Israelites is they missed their entire purpose. (laughs) And and I'm not into fear at all. 
That's, it's actually con uh, counterproductive to enter into fear. And a real quick bunny trail, the Lord told me this and it helped me get free, is that whatever you fear, you come under subjectivity to. He, someone else said that and that really spoke to me. So this is not to create fear, because if you're afraid, that will come upon you which you fear. This is to sober us up to the importance and the treasure that faith is. The Israelites were chosen to carry the covenant and the promises that would bring about the Messiah and his message. They were chosen to deliver the message that their father Abraham inherited. See, the law was a substitute. The covenant was faith with Abraham. And they were destined to bring the fullness of that promise, which is righteousness through faith to the world. They were God's chosen people to deliver the message of righteousness through faith. And Paul is dying in the beginning of this letter because he's saying they stumbled. My people, you are stumbling over the message, the very message you were created to deliver. The rock that you were created to build on is the rock you are breaking on and you don't even know it. You're missing your entire purpose because you can't receive the promise in the way it was ordained to be received. And perhaps even more tragic than that is it's not the first time they did this. I mean, you guys remember in the, in the promised land, it's even more sobering. They, their entire generation had to pass away in the sands of the wilderness because they were delivered from death, right? How many of you remember the story, right? Egypt, God brings them out of Egypt and into the wilderness to enter a promised land. They're delivered from death, from Egypt by faith, but they can't enter into their inheritance by faith. They try to enter it by the flesh. They're saved by faith from Egypt, but they can't walk in the spirit into the promised land. They try to walk in their, into their inheritance by their own effort and flesh. How many of you have been there? Saved by faith, through, by grace, through faith, trying to walk in my own strength. <laughs> Wilderness, death, that's what that is. Dying. It says in Romans 8 that the mindset on the flesh produces death, but the mindset on the spirit produces life and peace. So the Israelites have done this already before, and Moses experienced the same grief. We just got delivered from Egypt, not to die in the sand, but to enter the inheritance. Oh, that my people would have faith and not stumble over the message they're delivered to inherit. And I can also often kind of lose track, I'm sure you guys can as well, to how hard this was for Israel, right? When you look back, your hindsight's 2020. you can just see it all clearly. But for them, I mentioned it last time I was sharing, their whole world and economy and identity, um, individually and corporately, was built on the law. It was built on what you do, how you perform, how you show up, the sacrifices you make, the things that you belong to, to be right with God, right? And when Jesus came, he took it all away, and they felt completely exposed, and vulnerable, and they weren't able to make that jump. This metaphor, I can't get out of my head, might not be the best one, so use your imagination, but it's my favorite one, and I, I want to use it. So picture this. Israel is on a ship, and they're, they're, they leave from this kingdom, and they get a promise 
of one day inheriting the king and his kingdom. But they have to leave on this ship and go on this journey in faith that one day they'll receive the inheritance promised, which is a king and his kingdom. And they go on this journey. It's not 10 years. It's not 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. It's thousands of years in the ocean. They're on this boat for generations and generations and generations. And their kids, 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 and on and on and on haven't even seen the land. They begin to become way of the water avatar people. No, I'm kidding. They begin to become sea people. And they live strictly according to their journey and what it commands that they morph into, so to speak. And on the journey, they forget what it's like to live even on land. You've been on this boat for so long, you forget what it's like to run in the grass, climb a mountain, go to a different city. The greatest of greatest grandpa, his memories are fading in his journals from his greatest of greatest grandpa about what the land was like. You get the picture. Their identity changed in the journey from people on a mission to a new land, to people just trying to survive in the condition they're in. Their identity changed on the journey. And then the day finally comes when they land ashore and the king appears on the land. You guys get the metaphor? Jesus finally comes to their land, right? The Messiah. He comes to their land. He says, this is my kingdom. I am the king. You've made it. And there's these other people that lived on the land the whole time. And they see Jesus appear too. And Jesus says to those who journeyed for thousands of years, generation upon generation, as they're in awe at the feeling of sand between their toes, their kids are running in the grass. I mean, it'd just be exuberant experience. And he says to them, you have no more need for those boats. Burn the ships. Because you developed an identity in your journey, and you're in a new land, and you need a new identity. And in order for you to step into your new identity, you need to burn the vehicle that brought you here. You need to burn the old identity. You need to destroy what defined you, because I have a new identity for you. Can you imagine all you've ever known is the water? You don't even know what it's like to walk on solid ground. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's your name again? I don't know you. How do I, I know your mom? You know, like, to the Israelites would have been like, I'm familiar with you. I know Mary, your boys. But, you know, in this metaphor, they're just, they're not sure yet that this is actually reality. Jesus says, burn those boats. Well, the bystanders that lived on the land are, are saying, well, first of all, the, the king says, you can enter into this land if you burn your boats and you believe in me. I will give you a new identity. You will belong to me, and all of what is mine will be yours, and all that I am will be yours. And all you are will be mine, and all you are will be mine. <laughs> However you say that. And the guys that are bystanders, which would be the Gentiles, are like, I'm in. I'll take that. I believe in you. I've lived on this land, and I've never seen you before. And you appeared as king. You carry presence. You carry power. You carry authority. I'm in. 
And the Israelites say, I can't let go of what brought me here. It's the only thing I know. And they don't enter into the promised land. That is the picture of what Paul is saying. That the journey defined his people so that when the promise appeared, they stumbled over it and they couldn't enter in because of how long it had taken them to get there. But the Gentiles didn't pursue this king, didn't pursue righteousness. They were enjoying the, the lust of the flesh, drinking like there's no tomorrow, living their life like hell on earth. And the king appears and they say, we'll take him by faith. And God says, well, come on in then. It's so easy to judge the Israelites when you don't perceive what they experienced. Generations of building their life around this promise. They began to get an identity that was rooted in that promise. And when the promise finally came and the purpose for that journey is complete, they couldn't let go of it. They couldn't let go of their effort, the identity that came from their performance, the security that came from the covenant they had. They couldn't do away with the old and embrace the new, and therefore they were excluded from the promised land because you only can enter the promises by faith. And this is what was so hard for the Israelites to receive in Paul's day is that the potter has made a new lump of clay. The potter has made a new vessel, a new identity for a new land. It says it in Romans 9, 22 through 24. I'm actually going to read this one in the Passion Translation. Uh, just, before, <clears throat> just before the scripture, it's saying, um, God told Moses... I will harden the hearts, or I will show mercy to whom I desire to show mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I wish. I will harden the hearts, and I will soften hearts. And then he goes on to say, and doesn't, the same with God as every right. Yeah, then let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> and doesn't he also have the right to release the revelation of the wealth of his glory to his vessels of mercy, whom God prepared beforehand to receive his glory, even for us. Say that. Even for me. All right, let's say it again. Even for me. Even for me. Even for me. Whether we are Jews or non-Jews, we are those he has called to experience his glory. And I'm going to go to verse 16 now of Romans 9, and this is in the Amplified. So then God's gift is not a question of human will and human effort, but of God's mercy. It depends not on one's own willingness, nor on his strenuous exertion as in running a race, but on God's having mercy on him. The Israelites couldn't receive that the God who hardened Pharaoh's heart and softened others, the God who has mercy on whom he wills and has compassion on whom he wills, has made up his mind. And he said, I, behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, in Christ... Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. I have made a new creation. 
and I have chosen. I harden hearts and I soften hearts and I have made a decision. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will cut off the flesh. I have made up my mind. I am making a new vessel, O Israel. I have decided to make you a vessel of mercy. I have decided to release to you the revelation of the wealth of my glory. I have decided it. I have declared it. I have established it. And this is how it's received. Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with your will. Nothing to do with your effort. Nothing to do with your performance. It is because I have decided to do it. Isn't that amazing? That's good news. It has nothing to do with you. I've decided to make you a vessel of mercy to fill with my glory for my name's sake because I decided to do it and I'm not changing my mind. That's the new covenant. And this is how you receive it, by faith. <laughs> They're like, whoa. It's a complete 180 for them. And this is the reason they missed it, Paul says, because they pursued it not through faith, but relying instead on their merit of their works. They didn't depend on faith, but on what they could do. So the, the lesson of this passage clearly is faith. The power of faith. And the sobering reality that God has not ordained another way for us to come into him, into righteousness, and into our inheritance. It's through faith. And self-effort self is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of love. Self-effort, striving, is the opposite of faith. A theologian can correct me on that. That sounds right to me. And to all the doers in the room that are tortured by this message, God made you to be a doer. So don't let anyone put that Martha label on you. And I'm not a doer, by the way. Yes, it is a trap, but it's just as much a trap to be a beer. The truth sets you free, not your personality. So for, for the doer, I would say there is a work for you to do. There is an effort that you are assigned to have from the Father, and it is an effort to enter into his rest. Now you're like, oh, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. But what do I mean by that? I don't mean you don't do activity. I mean your activity comes from his finished work. In Hebrews it says, on the seventh day he rested. What happens in the rest of God? He completes all his work. The rest of God is a completion of his work. And when you strive to enter that rest, whatever you put your hands to is completed in Christ from start to finish. And what you start, you don't have to sustain because you're doing it from a place of rest. How do you tell when we're coming from self-effort or faith? The effort is not trying to get anything. The effort is not trying to life suck the energy out of other people. You're not trying to gain a sense of significance. You guys with me? You're not trying to gain a sense of importance. You're not trying to gain anything from God or anything from people through your effort. Pure effort is because it, is in a, it has fully received everything from God. True effort for the doers in the room is a response to being given everything in God. Your effort is a response. It's not trying to reach out for a need. 
So the truth of the matter is, Paul said, I, I think, he, isn't it Paul that said, I work harder than any other apostle? He's talking about the power within him. He's not working for anything. He's working from everything. He's working from purpose. He's working in his armor, in his calling, in his wineskin, in, in what God's asked him to do. And he's coming from being fully a son, fully loved, fully secure, if he doesn't do another thing for the rest of his life. Those people, lovers are the hardest, hardest workers. Just get married and you'll know. You don't even need to listen to that message. It does no good to be married and do anything out of flesh. If it's not genuine love, everything you're doing is hurting the situation. If you're doing it to get something for yourself, you'll destroy any real relationship. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, <laughs> all right. So... I don't want to find out where I am. Yeah, it is just the facts. Oops. <clears throat> so Joshua and Caleb are great examples of faith. They, they leave the, we're going back to the promised land story here. They leave Egypt. They're on the shores of the promised land, so to speak. And Moses says, go and spy out the land. So they go. I think it's... Um, 12 spies or 10 spies. I'm sorry, I, can, I can't remember. It's 12. And um, so 10 of them come back then, if it's 12, and say, um, there's strongholds, there's giants, there's problems, there's no way we can do this. And then Joshua and Caleb come back and say, hey, uh, there's strongholds, there's giants, we can take the land. So they come with these two different reports. Jo uh, Joshua and Caleb are seeing the promise through the eyes of faith, and they're seeing what God said through his ability to perform it. Right? And the, the other spies are seeing, are seeing the promise through the eyes of their own ability. They're seeing what God said through their ability to perform it. So the first one is, God said God's going to do it. Our only job is to walk into it. God said God's going to do it. Our only job is to enter it. And the other said, God said, we can't do it. We're going to get killed. Because I am incapable of entering into this promised land. And the lesson from this is that the land God's given you can only be taken by faith. <clears throat> because it's a land of promise. The land that God has given you can only be birthed in you through faith. Because it's a land of promise. He doesn't give promises to people who work for them. He gives them to sons who trust him. Right? Your land is destined to be taken through faith, not through striving, sweating, working it up, any of that stuff. And this is the message. This is why I'm preaching to you today. Okay? This is the point. This is what I want to see released is that God has a personal personally handcrafted, you could call it a mantle, a calling, an assignment. He has a destiny that's on your life. You're not just another baby he just threw out of heaven into someone's womb. He handcrafted a destiny for you, and he promised you things in Christ for you specifically. Not just general promises, but they apply to you specifically. 
He promised you righteousness with him, and all that that means, union, you become one with Jesus, face-to-face relationship, permanent access to the Father as a flawless, holy son and daughter of God. He promises you divine union with God himself, and then he promises you a specific inheritance. And I'm preaching to you today because I don't want you to miss it. And you can miss it. And this is the lesson from Romans 9. If you don't enter it by faith, there will be someone else that will gladly enter in by faith. This is not to cause you to fear. It's to cause us to sober up. Like, I'll I'll use Ron as an example. Ron, he's like, come on, really? Ron has a specific grace on his life that Abba Father released onto him when he was born. And it can only be entered into when he steps into faith. When Ron steps in front of kids, teenagers, youth, and he believes the Father's put him in that place, dew and honey from heaven, I'm not even kidding you, is released in the spirit realm. And people will listen to what he has to say because he's not just there in his own effort. He's not just there to drum up significance. He's not just there to feel like he's somebody. He's there in faith, in his purpose, and connected to the Father. And Father's releasing a fragrance only his composition could release. The presence of Yahweh through Ron Taylor is never going to be released for the rest of eternity on this planet. Isn't that beautiful? But you will never enter into that grace unless you come in faith. Unless you come in faith. You will never be right before God unless you come in faith. You will never enter into your promises unless you come in faith. So... I want to give you one key, and you all should be happy because I was listing out five keys to grow in faith, and it was like whatever time late at night. I have my kids to myself this week, so I'm like, I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna. This is like three messages and way too long. So I thought about how much I love you guys, and I picked one key, <laughs> one key to grow in faith. Yep, yay. Um, oh man. And, and I want to say this to, to, this is to you. If you are in a place where you're struggling to believe that he has made you a vessel of his mercy to be filled with his glory, that he has promised you an inheritance that no one else will receive for eternity, that you have a specific purpose, if you're struggling to believe that today, this is for you, okay? It's this acronym. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, it's KISS, okay? And this acronym, I'm going to connect it to a scripture and then we'll land the plane. Keep it simple, son. (laughs) I don't subscribe to the other way that that's said. Keep it simple, son. I promise you that is exactly how you come into greater faith. Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom. You cannot enter unless you become like a child and humble yourself. If you want to learn about faith, look at a child. Okay, the scripture, if you want to flip there, I didn't give it to the guys in the back, is Hebrews 4, 6 through 7. 
um, in the Passion Translation. We're going to get to it, but I want to set the stage with Romans 12.3. It says in Romans 12.3 that everyone has received a measure of faith. So right now, just repent. Say, Father, say, let's say it with me here. Father, I repent for believing I don't have faith. You got to get that booty talk out of you. That's trash. I got to get out of me. Today I'm preaching to myself, by the way. This is every Sunday I do, but I'm really preaching this one to me. Where was I? Um, a measure of faith. He gives you a measure of faith. Everyone has a measure of faith. Jesus said so. Okay? So you have faith in you because he gave it to you. And then the next scripture, it says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm sure all of you know that scripture. Do you know, I've preached this before, that that word, word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word is rhema. And it actually says, if you look up in the Blue Letter Bible, I'm quoting this by memory, but it says something to the effect of the anointed utterance of a living voice that inbirths faith. Isn't that amazing? Faith comes from the anointed utterance of Jesus Christ speaking to you. Faith is given to you in a measure, and faith comes by hearing his living voice. In other words, if, when he speaks to Mike Stanley, he doesn't just speak to him, he inbirths faith. This is why it's so important to hear God's voice, because when he speaks to you, he releases faith into you. Remember, keep in context what we're talking about. You have inheritance, you have promises, you have righteousness God declared for you to enter into only by faith. How do we grow in faith? Number one, it's a gift, and number two, he gives it liberally when he speaks to you. So the, how do we steward that? Hebrews 6, uh, 4, 6 through 7. This is such a good scripture. Well, it's one of my favorites. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance, talking about the Israelites, failed to enter into that realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. For God still has ordained a day for us to enter into, I love this, called today. For it was long afterwards that God repeated in David's words, if only today you would listen to his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says there's a faith rest. Say that with me, faith rest. Faith rest promised for us to enter into, okay? And God has ordained a day for us to enter into it called today. Okay. So if you want to know how to grow in faith, I have good news for you. God has ordained a day for you to enter into it. It's today. <laughs> oh, what did I say? Faith is simple. Keep it simple, son. He didn't say, I have days for you to enter into. I am the beginning and the end. I am, I'm all over. There's no, I'm everywhere and, and you've got to enter into faith and all these. No, he said today. He came into our time zone. He said, today is the day that I have ordained. Yahweh of the creator of everything said, I have ordained into the universe. 
a day for you, my people, to enter into the rest of faith. What is the rest again? On the seventh day, he rested from his works. Just read Hebrews 4. It'll trash you up. Because it's literally saying the rest of God is when we cease to work. We cease from our works and we enter his rest. There's a day that he's ordained. If you want to learn how to step into your promised land, how to step into righteousness where you don't have any more uh, shame, no more uh, veiledness between you and Abba Father, I have good news for you. It's kiss. Keep it simple, son. Today is the ordained day of God Almighty for you to hear his voice. And when you hear his voice, you will receive faith. You will receive faith. And with that faith, you will enter into the promised land. With that faith, you will burn the ships. With that faith, you can overcome any past. With that faith, you can enter into any future. But you have to keep it simple. Son, it's in today. Your faith that you need for tomorrow is not in tomorrow. It'll never be in tomorrow. Because the faith you need in tomorrow is actually for the tomorrow of tomorrow. The faith you need for tomorrow is in today. And it's in his voice. And this is why the enemy works so hard to get you to feel a sense of significance because of your effort, because of your gifting, because of your fill in the blank, because if he can get you busy and not hearing his voice, you will have no empowerment to enter into promise. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, and f- the word. It comes from his voice. You guys get it. It comes from his voice. <clears throat> Would you stand with me? I was thinking as I was preparing this, the great people of faith. What did they all have in common? Moses. He had this incredible promise. He said, I don't want to enter the promise if your presence doesn't go with me. Joshua grew up under the the tutoring of Moses. And Moses would leave the tent covered in glory. I mean, the glory was at the tent when Moses would go. And Joshua would remain after Moses left. The man who entered the promise would not depart from the presence. David said, this one thing I seek above all else, that I may dwell in your presence. The disciples gave up everything to dwell in the presence of Jesus. Paul said, I count everything as rubbish compared to the delight of knowing Jesus. His voice is attached to his mouth. His mouth is attached to his face. His face is him. (laughs) In other words, him and his voice and his presence are the same thing. God, would you make us today a people of your presence? A people of your presence, not in tomorrow, not in yesterday, but in today. Lord, I pray for a special grace, God, for, for all of us. The words that you've spoken over these people, God, I give you thanks even just for um, what you did with the 1,500 students with Kevin, God, and, and this is, truly, that's a promise, that's an inheritance, that's, that is something that is for Jesus the King, coming into fruition by faith. Lord, we receive that testimony, and we just say thank you that you have something on each person's life in this room that is not 
an accidental assignment, but it is on purpose. It's a promise. It's an inheritance. And there's righteousness to be fully received for each person in this room. And we receive your awakening right now. We receive your faith right now. We receive your voice right now. And we come into the rest. Today we hear your voice. Today we don't harden our hearts. Today we receive you. So anyway, Brian, um, thanks. You read my mind. Just like five minutes here. Um, I just want to create a space for us to repent in this moment. And to repent means to change the way we think. And some of us, like I see this old, rusty, rusty, rusty pickup truck, Chevy pickup truck in the back of the, of the farmyard. And it's filled with blackberries. And it's got skeletons in it. And it's, your, it's the grace that God put on your life. It's the grace that God put on your life. And he's saying, go get the pickup, son. Go get the grace that I gave you. I'm going to give you the faith to walk in it. For some of you, I see these people representing like leaders and elders in your life coming and stealing away this grace and locking it up in, in a closet and saying, you can't have that. And I see the Father just, these people have become, they were actual people, but now they've become imaginary people that stand in the way of you and your grace, you and your calling, you and your voice, you and, and you releasing what you're called to do in this earth. And they're standing in the way, and I just see the Father opening that door, and they disappear. They're illusions. For some of us, just never given permission to, to step into that calling, never given permission to mature into our destiny, to our inheritance. Our fathers never said, that belongs to you. Our mothers never said, that is your inheritance, that is your gifting. Walk in it. Walk in it. You weren't celebrated. You, weren't put, uh, you didn't have someone come underneath you and, and support you in your journey. And the father's saying, today, step into my adoption. Step into my tutoring. Step into my empowerment and burn the ships of the past. Burn the journey and the trauma that's been attached to it. Burn it and put your faith in me to raise you up into your grace and your calling. Father, I just pray today a sealing of this word in all of us that you would keep us in the today, you would keep us in the now, Hearing your voice, receiving faith, stepping into our promises. I ask for great faith released in my life, Father. I repent for looking to myself and not to you. I ask for great faith in us as a people to take the land to receive your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. 
Together, we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.